0: Diversity in Writing podcast, the show where we as authors explore the better practices of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany A. Tucker, and with me each week is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Ready? Let's dive in. Everyone. Normally I'm saying hi, Marielle, but today I'm saying hi, Louvie.
1: Welcome, Louvie. Hi.
0: If you listened to our last episode with Marielle and I, I said that this episode, my partner, would be with me, but not my partner in podcasting, my partner in life. This is Luvie Tucker. He is also an author. I invited him on here today to talk about writing men because I really felt I shouldn't be doing that just on my own. So welcome, Luvie, and thank you for sacrificing literally hours of your time and multiple weekends to get ready for this.
1: It is my pleasure. Yes, it's my pleasure. No worries. I'm I'm nervous and yet excited at the same time.
0: So I'm gonna talk about you just a little bit.
1: Oh no, hopefully good things. Go on.
0: (laughs) Louie Tucker is the author of the book, The Visitor. He's written a lot of other things. He's into video gaming. He's uh, into computer security. I won't talk about that too much, because it's security.
1: (laughs) I mean, In a way, this is a writing podcast, not a a cybersecurity podcast. So
0: I would be, I I am not prepared to run a cybersecurity podcast. So we'll be moving on from that. But we, I know that you think about story a lot. You actually worked with mythology in your degree in university when you were studying East Asian studies as well as computer science. And we've just had so many really good conversations that helped inform me as i was writing male characters and then when you were working on your own book and then in life in general you've been one of those people supporting me in the podcast for the last year and a half talking about identities and representation and so when this topic came up and i knew we needed to talk about it you were the top of my list for someone i wanted to have come on and bring in that male perspective so thank you for being here
1: Again. My pleasure.
0: Awesome. So I'm just going to preface this conversation with a little bit about where we are. So Louvi and I are both published authors with multiple stories behind us. We've both been writing for years. louvi has been writing since I knew him, and we've known each other half our lives. Literally. Literally, actually. (laughs) So... But even though we are so invested and so deeply involved in this, we cannot account for every single possibility or see every possibility. So we're going to talk from our lived experiences, which are very deep. We're both very involved and invested in the topic, but we are only talking from the experiences and what we've been able to learn from others around us and our studies. If you have a question or thought outside of what we're able to cover today and in the next episode we do together on the same topic, please write in, ask the questions, raise them. This is a conversation and we would like to keep it that way. That's one of the reasons Marielle and I have more than just Marielle and I on the podcast is to keep this open in a free-flowing conversation. So we've wrestled with a lot of these questions as a man. I mean, you've told me you have. (laughs) we've yes, I I've have. wrestled with <laughs> yes um i've wrestled with them as a woman writing men and we've wrestled with them as a couple defining roles and boundaries and what we want to show up in our work and in our relationships and as individuals who have lived in multiple countries and wrestled with multiple definitions of masculinity as we've experienced them literally change from when you get on a plane to when you get off a plane. I wish you all could see Louvi's face right now.
1: I'm very wide-eyed, nodding emphatically, yes, yes.
0: Do you want to explain why you're nodding so emphatically when I say multiple definitions of masculinity?
1: So based on all the places you know, not even just the places we have lived around the world, but even within America. Sometimes you get on a plane and the airport that you're leaving, you see different ways that men present themselves, supposedly masculine men, but then you go to, let's say a different region of the States or different region of the world, get off the plane, go to the airport, and There's some similarities, but you also see a lot of differences in how people or men in particular will carry themselves, how they behave in public. It's like going through a time warp in some ways.
0: Exactly. So in a couple of hours of talking about how to write men in fiction, there's going to be a lot of different ways to do it. And that's actually something we want to explore and to say is a good thing. Because there is not a monolithic man. Correct. Yeah. You and I ran into uh, a clip of a guy on TikTok, and he just had this really interesting way to bring up some concepts around masculinity and presentations of masculinity. And let's be very honest, when we are writing fiction we are performing masculinity. Whether or not we are a man or a woman or someone who does not define themselves as either, writing men is performative masculinity. So this is Marcus Territory on TikTok. I do, everyone go look at his stuff. He's a law student, he's been a paralegal, Um, he's lived in both Canada and the US, so he has a lot of perspective. And he he gets this comment and he responds to it in a video. And the comment he's responding is to is, can you share more about what made you, Marcus territory, more open and receptive to others' criticism versus getting defensive and digging into pre-existing beliefs? And Marcus goes on to explain that he can remember the moment when he decided to stop being offended by people calling out shitty male behavior. He, at this point, had already started divesting himself of toxic viewpoints and old ideas, but it hurt. He he felt harmed or at least offended um, or angry when he saw or heard other people calling out all men for things he no longer did, going back to that monolithic idea of a man, which doesn't actually exist. But then Marcus came to a realization, if this is how people talk about all men and I don't do any of this, then they're not talking about me. That's Marcus, his his realization. And Marcus also realized that the only thing tying his identity to masculinity was enabling him to be offended on behalf of sexual predators. That's actually what he said. And he was also realizing he was sick of being compartmentalized as a man and not being treated as a full and complex human being because he was limited to this box of what it meant to be a man. So he decided to stop linking his identity to being a man. And he goes on that to explain that trying to keep up a masculine identity might feel like it's helping someone but it's actually harming men. And you know, he just he kept coming back to this idea of men as a fully complex human being. First and foremost, before this concept of masculinity, and arguing that you know we're harming ourselves by trying to to keep this idea alive. So I shared that with you, and then you had some thoughts.
1: Right. I I mean I really like the idea that, especially as myself as you know a full-grown man here, that of course there is no single definition or portrait of what a man is or how a man behaves. And when we talk about men, and it does change from region to region. So for example, when I was living overseas, when I was living in Japan, there's this idea of manliness, men who wear makeup to accentuate their masculine features, you know, the cheekbones or like their physiques, with Seek or whatnot. And in another part of the world, there's, I believe it's the Blard, it's like lifting up Blard stones, I believe that's what it's called. And you have these men in kilts, big buff men, they have to pick up a series of Blard stones that are heavier and thick and rounder, not rounder, because they're all stones like round stones, but they're heavier and bigger with each one to have to lift it up onto these barrels. I mean that's another form of, if you will, masculinity, and in the states you have hot dog eating contests, and some people seem to revere that, but you know to each their own. So yeah, masculinity changes based on where you are, the culture, and we're going to talk a lot more about that as we go on, elaborate a bit more. Yes.
0: Yeah, so as we're writing when we're trying to write a complex male character, we need to keep our minds open to what that means and also allow for a complexity and a diversity of male characters to show up. And it's gonna make our books better. Yes. In your own writing, you have quite a range of male characters, which I have enjoyed reading.
1: Thank you. (laughs) I, I tried hard
0: you did i got to see almost all of it so we also experience and ourselves because of where we worked and lived have experienced a variety of definitions of masculinity based upon class so even within the same country and the same quote-unquote culture you can go from one street to another in the same city with people of the same skin tones and technically the same religious backgrounds. And you'll still see a difference of what masculinity means, the ideal, based on how much money is coming into a household. Would you agree with that?
1: I would. I mean, it's. It reminds me of when we were living in Chicago and we were staying in a pretty well-to-do affluent, very affluent, neighborhood for anyone who might know it's called Lincoln Park and while we were there I got the impression that a uh, quote-unquote real man he brought home well not just the bacon he brought home the whole pig because <laughs> the bacon is basically scraps delicious scraps but it's not the whole pig that's how you really show off your wealth and manliness you bring in the whole pig and so basically this is to say that a real man, not only does he have a very respectable, high paying job, but he also can provide for his family, like his wife doesn't have to lift a finger, if you will, or they have a really nice car, really nice house. I mean, These were like all the markings of what makes a man a man in this neighborhood, based on what I saw. But at the same time, you have the working class men who might have to do a job there or whatnot. And there's always this feeling that these men who lived in a more affluent neighborhood look down on the heart, the working class men who were performing these services. But if you go to a different part of the city, let's say Humble Park, which is about which is west of downtown Chicago, um, the working men are probably laughing at the Lincoln park men because they're not quote unquote manly enough. You know, these men don't know how do to hard labor, they don't know how to like take care of their car or stuff like that. Or, oh my gosh, they can't fix the plumbing in the bathroom. It's, it's very subjective. And as you said, it depends, like, it can be the same race, same city, same religion, and yet they have different ideas of what it means to be a man.
0: Based on where they're at. I cannot get the song. I'll make a man out of you out of my head right now from the original Mulan movie.
1: I love that movie as a kid. I still I do. actually.
0: Wanna, <laughs> I kind of want to see it again. And I, I still can't decide if that song is problematic, mostly because the, the lyrics, if you just listen to the lyrics, feel like they could be really macho. Mm-hmm. But the girl and all the guys with different body styles, if you're watching the movie while the song's being sung, they all actually achieve the standard set by the singer. So I love the song, even though it feels like a very complicated love.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or it just goes back to the idea that there are different definitions of. Man. Maybe the song was using man in different contexts throughout each part of the song, but I don't work for Disney. I don't know.
0: (laughs) And because I don't work for Disney, I'm actually not going to read all the lyrics of the song off. I don't want them to come after me.
1: (laughs) No, they have an army of lawyers (laughs) led by Mickey Mouse himself.
0: (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) let's, let's get into this so I've asked you to be my co-host for this mini series uh, because you are a man and I know you're yes. self-respective and you're an author. So are you ready to represent all men everywhere?
1: Well, I did win an election <laughs> not too long ago to represent all men. Landslide. <laughs> there was only one dude who didn't want to have me represent him, but he lost. So I now represent all men. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs>
0: Because we have an actual democracy and we really did pull every man on earth.
1: Every last one of them.
0: (laughs) So before I start cry laughing on this thing, seriously, that's the point though, that there's such a breadth of male representation and we're going to dig into a lot of it and try to bring up some points and definitions and examples to help. But there will always be questions left over and research that each of us as we're writing need to do to carry out personally. But as always, as you're working with these questions, um, go ahead, write us. Uh, even though Louie's not on our normal rotation, um, I will pass your questions along to him. If you like, he has agreed to let me do that.
1: Yes, I hoping I do not regret this, but I don't think I will. No one's going to ask me weird questions. I hope any
0: weirder than you've already had in your life. I could tell stories about the questions we've got.
1: <sighs> take the fifth
0: you were a black man living in china with a white woman let's just start from there
1: i'll take the fifth i love you i love you too
0: so we're going to start with what we consider common but unfortunate advice and we're only bringing it up because it is so common because in our daily lives and in our lives as writers and individuals, we get this advice, see it so often about representing men, about writing men. And we really do not want to make fun of any of the blog writers or authors we're about to mention. We don't consider them to be egregiously off course in general. They are a product of their society and they're doing the best they can where they're at. But we are going to wrestle with the issues that they bring up because they need to be wrestled with. Like someone said to me recently, if you didn't want anyone to respond to what you wrote, don't put it out there. But we can respond to it without saying that these people are bad. We just want to wrestle with these ideas that they've placed out there.
1: Yes, I will do my absolute best to be as objective as possible for these blog posts and the people who wrote them. All right.
0: So we're going to start with a very small blog. It just came up really high in the Google search results. For some reason, we're not sure why. It's written by a guy named Josh Pryor. At least that's what he calls himself in the article and it's titled (laughs) how to write a male character. You ready? Yes. All right. So Josh, to the best of our knowledge, I did look, hasn't published any books or short stories that we could find. But his article on summarizing how to write men, and it it's just summarized a lot of bad advice in one place about how to write men, how to be a man. And Luffy decided he really wanted to untangle this advice. So we started with it first. So here we go. Josh and other people like him have these three pieces of of advice, mistakes supposedly, that we women make when we write male characters. And they are as follows. One, giving men, uh, making them overly protective. Two, making our male characters when we as women write them uh, totally selfless. And three, we as women writers, making a man too sensitive. So Luvi, do you want to just dis- construct this advice that was written for women on how to write better men?
1: Right. Okay. So let's start with talking point number one. He says the first thing that that's a mistake to do for men is to make him overprotective. In fact, it says giving him, mistake number one, giving him an overly protective instinct And the solution is to constrain most protective instincts to his subconscious. So the paragraph, as he explains it, basically is saying that when a man is protecting someone or when he's performing some sort of action, that we should not spend time focusing on what the guy is thinking in the moment. We shouldn't take the time to explain what is going through his mind but instead we should just describe the actions of what he's doing and the belief if i can pull this up really quick is as he says when a man steps into a protective role it is 90 percent instinctual men are action driven and most protective moments happen before they even think about it so for me As as you know, I write male characters in my stories and in real life. There's a little kernel of truth in that. But I also believe that you can take the time to describe what is going on in a man's head as he's rushing to the scene or trying to act fast. So if a man, say, he wants to protect, let's say, a puppy. Let's say there's a big dog that wants to attack a little puppy. It's his little puppy and he cherishes this puppy. As he's rushing in to fight off this big dog to save his puppy, it's not that his mind is completely blank. You can take the time to say, oh, no, I can't afford to lose in his mind thinking I can't afford to lose. Let's say spots. Let's name name the dog spots. I can't afford to lose spot. That would break my heart that's a quick two second thought that can happen as he's running to the scene so i think it is disingenuous to say that a guy can't have thoughts as he's acting in a way it's in in a way it's almost as saying that a guy or a man is more animal than human you know he doesn't have thoughts he doesn't think about what he's doing as he's trying to protect someone and it also does not take into account that men could protect somebody without having to rush into action for example one example i like is john wick because i love john wick and that
0: really really do
1: i do my gosh I, i could be john wick with less bullet holes but then i guess i wouldn't be john wick I digress. But in the John Wick movies, he does act. You know, you see him acting on instinct, but at the same time, before all of the action goes down, there is some planning. He is thinking things through. And even in some of the action scenes, as he's like taking a moment, he is also thinking about what to do next. I mean, there are thoughts going on in his mind. Is not completely blank because if it was, he'll be dead. So there's that's... complexity.
0: Sometimes the camera angles allows you to see John Wick scanning that room, seeing combatants, non-combatants, possible combatants, and you're watching on his face him making, Keanu Reeves does this really well in his acting, him making those moral judgment calls. He right. has the goal in mind. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes that's defending. Sometimes he is delivering a message of vengeance. But he's still a thinking, a fully thinking, a fully realized and a self-reflective character. Even though he's this absolute war machine in the films.
1: Yes. And another point is you cannot have male characters who are highly strong 100% of the book. As to say, at some point, your male character has to stop and think. (laughs) It's not healthy to not stop and think every once in a while. Take a breather, think about how you're going to tackle something.
0: It's almost required to have that hero's arc happen. I mean, you actually, in your book, The Visitor, you actually, and I'm not going to give spoilers, I'm just going to say something happened. You lock one of your male characters in a room to force one of those things to happen. Right. And it's actually a a pretty powerful moment in that character's arc.
1: I was gonna say, even if the male character isn't the hero, because I was thinking about my story as well, we don't really see what's going on in our quote unquote villains thought process. We don't see it as much as we do with the main character, but he does show how he's thinking every now and then. I mean again, we're not rooting for the villain, but we can see why he is the way he is and how he plans out his moves.
0: I will always argue that we the as authors, we need to know what's internally happening with our villains because they are the hero of their own story. Yes. Yeah. So, a male character can be protective Without it always being an urgent situation, it's not always instinct. Oftentimes, protective actions can happen from a place of calculation. There is the occasional, I would say, you know, like throwing up an arm to stop something. That's not limited to male characters. That's not even limited to human characters. No. Yeah. Do you think all male characters need to be protective of other people in the book?
1: No. No some male characters need to be protected. (laughs) To say that all male characters have to be protective is, what is the word I am looking for? It's, It's not right. That's thrusting on to men, all men, that there's this expectation that they have to protect no matter what, even if they can't. They must protect. And that's just not realistic. Some men have to be protected, sometimes by other men, sometimes by women, sometimes by Spot, the puppy. Men, some men just have to be protected.
0: And sometimes there's role swapping that happens even inside of a book. Like in my Queen's Enforcer novel, there are men who are protected, there are men who are protecting. And their roles actually swap. And sometimes it's not physical protection, sometimes it's emotional protection. And that lends itself to the whole tension of the story. It actually takes things forward.
1: Yes. I I agree with that. Because when we think of protection, we think of, I mean, typically what comes to mind is the physical protection, you know, taking a bullet for whoever, but emotional protection is a real thing as well so uh point number two
2: Let's if you're do ready it. for
1: point number two so according to this blog post mistake number two is making him your male character totally selfless and the solution make him mostly selfish even when he acts selfish selflessly selflessly Whew. Okay, that was a word for me. For me, this point of the three points, I felt that this point was his best point for writing male characters, but I still do not fully agree with this point. It's...
2: It's complicated.
1: Yes, it, it depends what is your definition of acting out of selflessness or making someone selfish. So in the post, he said that, let me see if I could find this really quickly here, to paraphrase that people do not, especially men do not act selflessly. There's usually something that they're expecting back. And I would argue that as a male myself, that there are times I act selfishly, selfless, selflessly. I cannot say that word today. There are times I'll act selflessly because it is simply the right thing to do and not expecting some sort of reward or compensation back for it. Because and, it
0: fits your moral code.
1: Right, and I do not believe I am an oddity in this regard. I believe that you can have male characters who act a certain way simply because it is the right thing to do. Now, with that said, I will also say that even if someone is acting because it is simply the right thing to do, it doesn't mean that he has no qualms or no conflicts with doing this action because it is simply the right thing to do. You know, you can have a character, a male character, who may not be happy doing the thing he's about to do, but he'll still do it because it is the right thing to do.
0: I mean, that's actually some of my most fun watching. For example, in the Naruto series, there are a lot of characters that do the right thing and they're really mad about it. And it drives character conflicts in a way that almost nothing else does, they're like dragging their feet, yelling and screaming, but when push comes to shove, they're going to do it because that's who they are,
1: right? And there is another aspect to this point that I want to touch on, which is some people. I guess this goes to the definition of what do we mean by being selfless here. Some people will do good things or help others because of altruism, they might be slightly addicted to. Feeling good about helping other people. One could say that is being selfish. I suppose that is debatable. But to say that men have to be mostly selfish, it feels it feels wrong to me.
0: It feels somewhat disingenuous. Because the motivations for our characters, men, women, and otherwise. It- is complex. There's always multiple reasons why they do things. And to oversimplify the reason that any character, say a male character does something, it kind of leaves them feeling kind of flat as a reader. Right. And it's, I would say, you and I were talking about this earlier, and at one point you said, just give your character motivation for what he does. And I would say that's better. That motivation can be selfish or altruistic or codified, or he expects to go to Valhalla after he dies. So it doesn't matter what happens to him here.
1: Mm-hmm. Motivation is definitely, I feel a stronger point and explaining why someone acts the way they act. And, you know, you don't have to go into a whole backstory of, oh, this is what happened in his past. and This is why he's driven to do such and such. I mean, you could touch on it, but.
0: Or you could leave it a mystery for a while.
1: Or you could leave it a mystery for a while, but being completely self being completely selfish or mostly selfish. It, I feel that takes away from the male character, unless your male character is actually that selfish and people tend to not like selfish characters Unless you're yeah. doing some sort of a comedy drama where the main character is this selfish hero. He only saves people as long as they pay him or something like that.
0: It's It can be used for a villain, but almost always there's like a mental health aspect involved or a trauma involved or the villain decided to check out from humanity because they're so angry at humanity or there's been othering that's taken place. Like a character realizes that they need to be 100% selfish because no one else is looking out for them because they are other to their community etc and then selfishness will show up more naturally and be a, like something that drives them that's another thing that i have a problem with this piece of advice is it doesn't take in The complexity of social relationships across different cultures and regions is what might be selfish in one culture or region isn't in another. And there's also that identification. Does the male character identify with a community and then behave in what he views the interest of that community, or does he identify more with himself, and that can change based on character and based on community, how much that goes one way or the other, because you'll see a lot of times people making what appears to be a bad decision for their part. But because their identity is tied up in their community, it's a a, a decision based upon the greater community good.
1: I would also say it would also depend on the timeline, too, which time period you're writing in as well. There I, mean, I can't bring up examples off the top of my head, but I would imagine that, let's say, in the 1400s, a male, a man might do something that seems completely selfish. But during his time period, that was the norm, the expectations of a man of that time. Again, Where I can't I'll go for it.
0: Well, I, I was agreeing with your point. There were cases if you're writing historical fiction, especially, or basing it on a historical time period where a male character would do something and you're like, oh, that's incredibly selfish in relation to say another male character of a different race or a female character or a female character of a different race, etc., But the male character may or may not even recognize those others as human or deserving the same rights as him and that can be a whole complexity to unpack but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's selfish in the terms that we would use them today it would mean he literally does not recognize those other people in your book as human yet and if he does he's differentiating from the community he belongs to in which case that is a character arc. That is something you're going to have to support in your story to explain why he sees these others as human versus the standard of his time.
1: Yes. Ready for point number three? Let's do it. All right. Point number three, or mistake number three. Making him too sensitive. Solution, give him a little arrogance. This one... I feel this one touched a nerve with me the most. And if I can quote something from that point, let's see, to quote from, let's see, it is challenging to execute the sensitive male correctly, which is really what I'm addressing here. It's too easy to wander into sissy territory and unless your character actually is a bit of a wimp, it makes it harder for the reader to like him.
0: I. My hot take, and I try to generally avoid them, but is to say, what? We can't write sissy characters?
1: <laughs> I, I, my belief is there's just the idea of wandering into sissy territory. It's like, I feel that it's harder to wander into sissy territory if you're making your male character sensitive. I could be wrong. I admit that I could be wrong. I am no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I think a man crying does not make him a sissy.
0: Let's, sissy is one of those words which I actually highlight as problematic. Let's actually define what sissy character here probably means.
1: So what I get out of it, and again, I could be completely wrong about this, but my idea of what a quote unquote sissy is is typically someone a man who does not know they do not know how to protect themselves um they're not very confident and they don't know how to take care of themselves their own well-being that's been my definition of it And again, I will admit that I haven't dwelled a lot on expanding that definition or really honing it down.
0: Okay. I've spent a little time on it. Um, And sissy is complex in terms that there are some people reclaiming the title, much like the word queer was reclaimed. Mm -hmm. There's some movement to do that. So it's a word that I'm like, hesitant to say, don't use it because some people are reclaiming it and I want to respect that. but also it's a word that funny enough, me as a woman had used against me like, don't be a sissy Bethany. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it meant don't be overly emotional and weak. and and applying it to men, which has happened in front of me is even worse. It's implying yes. the way I've seen it used is implying that a man that can't hold it together and emotionally handle his shit
1: there's definitely a sense now i grew up with the word in the 90s as a young lad exploring the world around himself that sissies are not worth it like there's no worth in being a sissy oh i've definitely
0: heard the old don't date a sissy kind of thing right
1: just there's just this idea that they're not worthy of respect
0: yeah so expressing emotion shouldn't automatically put you in this category
1: it should not if a man wants to cry during a funeral or a movie a chick flick if you will that (laughs) is his right to cry ball his eyes out and say it's so beautiful and not be a sissy if he does not identify as one
0: he should be able to have a bicycle crash, sit on the ground and cry over his broken bike. And the fact that he's got his arm cut up and still not be considered unworthy of respect. Right. I've I... seen plenty of men refuse and plenty of characters be written as like, I have a bullet through my shoulder, but I'm not crying because I'm a tough man. I'm like, you're in shock. That's what's happening.
1: <laughs> that That is different. That is absolutely <laughs> different. You should go see a therapist about that. <laughs> but no, I agree. I think if a man has a single tear in his eye, that does not automatically make him a sissy. And you know what? Even if it did, so what?
0: I really do appreciate that there is some amount of movement for the idea that, you know, strong men cry. Right. And if you go back to ancient mythologies, even some biblical stories or um, stories that come out of the Celtic era, even stories that come out of uh, Chinese or Japanese mythology, you do hear about warriors and kings crying. It's a bit more recent, this idea that men don't cry.
1: Right. And, you know, maybe it's possible Well, it's already happening that we just have to redefine what it means to be a sissy for men, you know if. Expressing your emotions should not automatically or showing vulnerability should not make you a sissy automatically. Um, And. I believe I believe that also restricts how you can develop and grow your male characters.
0: Yes, exactly. And for anyone who's thinking, well, you know, this might be an ideal, but I can't do this for my characters because my book won't sell. I would like to point out that Luke Skywalker was bawling his eyes out when Darth Vader said, Luke, I am your father. And no one thinks that Luke isn't a strong character. OK, no one I know.
1: True. I want to pretend that I thought that <laughs> Luke was a terrible character. Just bad and then get all the hate messages through you to me, but no, Luke. You you,
0: you can't do that.
1: <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. And you know, another person, and I think maybe a lot of people don't think about this off the top of their head, is Deadpool in the second movie. He definitely shows vulnerability and emotions and just heartbreak. When he lost Vanessa. Exactly. For those who did not see the movie. Don't worry. It's not a spoiler. You see it in like the first five minutes. But he does show vulnerability. And then he goes out and murders everybody. But he does show vulnerability.
0: Part of the magic of Deadpool. Is how and mask he is at the same time how vulnerable and kick-ass he is at the same time he can be crying about how terrible it is to lose a friend and still mess you up with those two blades of his at the same time he does not compartmentalize (laughs) yes His, his vocabulary is pretty amazing yeah i think going back to the word sissy for just a second it seems to be anything that would suggest that a man is feminized and that's the insult going on actually and Deadpool is like a perfect answer to that because he's not weak at all
1: and if he could ride a magical unicorn he would
0: fairly sure it probably happens in a comic book somewhere I'm not Don't know which one, but I feel like at some point it's happened or he will do it.
1: Given how the movies have been going, the reinvented version of Deadpool in the cinematic universe, yes, he will absolutely write. He has no shame in showing off his girly side. (laughs) And I love it.
0: Yes. So just grounding this in writing for a minute, I think as writers, we need to be brave enough to allow some of what might be called stereotypical feminine emotions to show up in our men because they naturally do. And it does happen in literature all the time and it does not ruin it for readers. But um, so this article ends with something that popped up in several other places as we were preparing to record this episode and including it's something that happened in your professional reading recently outside of preparing for this podcast. Um, Do you want to bring that up?
1: So let me see if I could quote the article really quick. This is the Josh Pryor article, and then I will bring up what I saw in the Reddit forums for cybersecurity. So in the, in the writing article, in the writing blog here, as a general rule, according to experts like Jordan Peterson, Men are more interested in things, while women are more interested in people. This naturally gives men a tendency to pay attention to how things work and how people work than how people work. Demonstrating this will instantly give your male characters a believable feel.
0: I just have to break in to say that Jordan Peterson, as an expert, is something that made my mental health uh, licensed professional friend start laughing his ass off. But moving on.
1: (laughs) So, and this is why I brought it up for the cybersecurity field. This post that I'm taking this comment from, or quoting parts of this comment from, came from someone who asked, why aren't there more women in STEM research or STEM fields? STEM um, basically being the scientific field industry. So computers, chemistry, biology, so on and so forth.
0: Engineering of all kinds.
1: Right. And as they said, one of the reasons it's due to inherent cross-cultural personality differences between men and women. A psychologist who studied this said in an interview, the biggest difference that's been discovered between men and women, and this is the one that gets the biggest in Scandinavian countries, is interest. Men are more interested in things and women are more interested in people. And it's a big difference. Now I'm assuming that the psychologist that this poster is referring to is probably Jordan Peterson, I looked it up, he does have a bleak PhD in psychology. If I remember correctly, but that said, there's this idea that women are not in STEM fields because every we looked this up, we saw the study that this is being referred from, which was
0: not by Jordan Peterson. It was not by One Jordan the, Peterson. No, the authors were Rong Su, Patrick Armstrong, and James Rounds.
1: And this was conducted like in the nineties, I believe.
0: The S track is from two thousand nine.
1: Oh, never mind. So not that long ago. But the thing we found that was wrong with that study is that, um, they were asking adults. You know, grown men and women, what their interests were in and so forth, as, as opposed to asking people like in their four or five year olds to see what stimulated their interest in whatever it was. And some people in the Reddit chat brought that up, you know, there are women who would go into computer science or engineering, so forth, they're pretty good at it, as good as their classmates, but they quickly saw that they were not going to get ahead because it was mostly a male culture so they felt discouraged from pursuing it any further and this is to kind of go back to writing men um, not to put all, all men in a in one box if you will it is to say that if men are only interested in how things work then there should be less men in politics and in the CEO boardroom because that is mostly people understanding or misunderstanding in some cases, but they are not dissecting how things work.
0: When you first said this to me, I think I ended up falling into a chair laughing. And I did read that research article. I actually scanned the entire thing. And the biggest thing that showed up was it really didn't cover how people ended up. They were looking at people already in industries. And so it doesn't explain the pipeline of getting men and women or why men or women are socialized to focus on one thing versus another. And that has actually been studied and has a lot to do with what people are rewarded for or discouraged by doing or also what is safe or not safe. A lot of girls learn to be hyper aware of the people around them as a form of security that sometimes is not necessary for young men to do in the same manner.
1: No, I was not taught to be hyper aware of the people around me for security. I was taught to be aware of people around me for security, but it is not to the same extent as a young girl may be taught, I believe.
0: I mean, I was like seven or eight when I first started to be reminded to think of like, what could be a weapon or not to be caught in the dark, or just, it started really, really young. And when you also start to Push girls to like be responsible for taking other people to take on emotional burdens, and then you reward boys for like winning the science competition, etc. You do end up with these differences,
1: right? And from my own personal experience, my own childhood, if you will, I was pushed towards more of the engineering, understanding how things work, you know, the manly things to do. So you know, you have to go out and mold a yard you have to use these tools to put this shelving unit together so forth and as a child growing up i didn't have an interest in these things even though i had an interest in legos but i didn't really have an interest in learning how motors and all these other things work that came over time because curiosity I mean, i'm I'm a case where it just so happened that yes, this actually is a good fit for me. But that's not always true. It's not always true that you introduce I mean, I have a friend who went through similar experience. And he is more of a people person than a engineer, if you will.
0: Exactly. And I actually wanted to be an architect when I was five or six, but I was discouraged from it. Uh, still have an interest in architecture, but I never got that kind of like support for like math and sciences that I needed to to pursue that. Right. So,
1: So um, for writing, I will say for your male, your male character, if your male character is interested in how people work and how they think, great. You know, spies are interested in people. Politicians are. Politicians are somewhat interested in people. I mean, one could say they're more interested in money, but that's a different topic. It also
0: relates to time period.
1: And relates to time period. It's <laughs> the idea that men are interested in things and women are interested in people is outlandish.
0: It was a man who actually wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Let's just say it that way. So, so yes. So expanding on this like we've really probably overhit the nail on the head about like men or women what they're choosing to do is more of a socialization whether they're more interested in people and things or whether or not they're like socialized to be a politician or an engineer whatever you had some excellent points about how this actually goes beyond men and women
1: right this also extends into race as well. Again, speaking from personal experience as a young black man in the STEM field myself, I, I am an engineer. And I do not see we think of cybersecurity engineers, typically, or just cybersecurity industry in general, of course, you think mostly male, but you also think probably white or asian american or asian of some descent and this includes people from india because i'm grouping them in the asian category here I mean, as a broad very broad term but i do not see a lot of people who look like me in my position or field for cybersecurity and how this all relates back to the difference between men and women and entering STEM or being more interested in people versus things is, as you said, there's some conditioning going on from a young age. Are you encouraged to go into the sciences or are you encouraged to go into the arts or are you encouraged to work with people? But also there is a question of resources And access to those resources. I mean, how I mean we hear often about how different schools get different resources and you know their students excel the whole zip code thing and whatnot. But it's to say that women, people of color, so forth, they're not in this industry simply because they're not suited for it. They may not be in this industry as much as you like because they didn't have the resources or the training or the encouragement to enter this field, and I believe that can be applied to how we develop our characters and our stories. You know what resources were available to them, what were their options? If they were more likely to go on a track to work with people, let's say their parents were more humanitarian aid workers and they pass that down to their children, then yes, it's very likely that you can have a male character who's going to be more interested in working with people as opposed to cobbling up together a machine.
0: So really looking here at how we develop the backstory of our characters. We can write anybody doing anything but we need to account for it in some way. There needs to be a storyline and we need to anchor that together instead of simply ascribing a trait to maleness or non-maleness. Yes. Yeah.
1: Also, so, if I could just bring it up pretty quick. Go for it. Hidden Figures. Yes. The three women in that movie, computer scientist, engineer, and super smart mathematician
0: exactly
1: they were interested in things
0: they were very interested in numbers they were very interested in doing things with those numbers um so as writers when we sit down we often want to expand we often want to do things with our characters that haven't been done before we're trying to keep things fresh we just had to dig into that backstory a little bit deeper and remember that our characters, even our male characters, especially America characters, do not have to be locked into a box of whatever maleness is the first thing that comes to mind. I loved you brought up recently the Godfather,
1: right. right this goes back to things versus people. But you know Marlon Brando's character, who played the Godfather in the Godfather, i would assume that he could not be the powerful mafia boss if he did not understand people i don't it's been a while since i've seen the movie but i'm pretty sure that he didn't take apart things and put them back together and figured out how they work he was not a hacker by any chance he was a mob boss and he understood people, he understood who worked for him, and he used that to his advantage. I mean, the whole movie is really about understanding people.
0: I would say he was arrogant though. But not to the point where he lost everything through his arrogance.
1: Right. There's there's a little bit of arrogance there, but he he's a mob Pride. boss. <laughs> he's a mob boss. Like that's kind of that kind of comes with the territory. But another yeah. example would be the wolf of wall street jordan Belfort, who is played by leonardo dicaprio he's also a person who well manipulated people but he understood people he understood that people wanted wealth that especially fast fast cash and power and he used that to his advantage as well
0: do you think that some people can under that some characters can understand people really well in certain ways, but totally miss other parts of human of the human psyche?
1: That's a tough one. Because I would been- say, I'll go for it.
0: Because The Godfather understood concepts like family and loyalty and motivation. It's been a long time since I saw the movie, but that's what I remember. And The mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street, I remember that at some point there was a realization that wealth wasn't enough. There was an emptiness that some characters experienced.
1: Right. This, In that case, I will say yes, that men and women can understand people on one level and not the other. This kind of reminds me of the saying that um, if you only have a hammer, all you see is nails, that kind of thing. Whereas you could take nails and put them in a forge and make jewelry out of it, as opposed to just hammering it down. Um,
0: So the Wolf of Wall Street understood greed and fear and want. But maybe not understanding the human psyche's ability and capacity for, say, peace and... Stability. Stability. Yeah. So... And I would say that there's like, there are other characters we could talk about, like the third Hokage in Naruto, who understood a different end of that human psyche.
1: Right. He did not understand greed very well.
0: He did not. That was almost a character flaw.
1: (laughs) Almost.
0: (laughs) Almost. Like he could get it, but sometimes he had to be reminded of people are going to do this just for greed.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So... I think we've really made this argument for the complexity of the male character so far. And um, are you ready to talk about our next blog article that we found to be a really good jumping off point?
1: Yes. Quite ready.
0: (laughs) So continuing on and exploring what, others are saying about writing men healthfully or non-healthfully. We're going to quote from Randy Ingramson's blog, because he wrote an article that included a lot of stereotypes that we run across in a general way. And he wrote them out very clearly for us to untangle. And while we do disagree with him a lot, we're also going to say that he made some really interesting points and we appreciate him for contributing to con- the conversation in such a succinct way. A lot of people ramble. And he just he just did it in a very succinct way that I appreciated reading. So, quote one, um he wrote in his article, he says, I had always assumed that women understood men. We are, after all, pretty simple. Generally, we say what we mean. Guys don't generally try to lay down a trail of hints that have to be figured out. End quote. And he goes on to. Explain like to give an example of a guy complimenting a woman on her hair, and the woman thinking that there are all these different hidden meanings from, you know, your hair normally looks bad to, I want to fuck you, that the woman is thinking the man is saying, and the man's not saying any of that. And I read that and I immediately, no offense to Randy, but I immediately called bullshit. Men lay trails of crumbs all the time.
1: I know I do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Some men are blunt, but a lot of times men do not say what they mean.
1: I also took I also took issue with the fact that people like Randy in his blog post wrote that men are simple, like we're simple creatures. And I feel that simple does not have the connotation that we think it should have simple kind of implies that again men are animalistic they're driven on instinct they are in a way dumb men are dumb and that's not true men could be what's the word i'm thinking of it's not simple but um possibly straightforward possibly not always (laughs)
0: I think there's this idea of masculinity of being straightforward and honest. And what you see is what you get. And we don't play games. We don't manipulate. We're just brave about our emotions and we put it out there. And what we say is what we mean and what we ask for is what we want.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm just different but i will lay breadcrumbs around and i do expect you to pick it up and figure out what i'm thinking because i think if i'm doing this for someone it's because i believe that they're smart enough to pick it up and figure it out and if i don't think they're smart enough then i'll be more straightforward if i'm straightforward to you on a regular basis that's a problem for you not for me but for you
0: you are sometimes somewhat unusual but in general i have found that it depends on the social situation especially in quote-unquote polite company men and women are very indirect in certain cultures Mm -hmm. some cultures they are more direct but the directness can hide other motives
1: right and no let's Circling back a little bit to the whole protective male idea as well, some men may not want to tell you the blunt truth because they know if they tell you the blunt truth, then it will have negative effects for the person they're telling this to. So they might be doing it to protect someone as well, in which case they're not saying what they actually mean or what they're actually thinking.
0: I love writing dialogue where a character is not saying exactly what they're thinking. And I've loved trusting my reader to figure out what my character actually wants to say. That, mm-hmm. that leads to some of the best dialogue in literature because most of the time we're not, we're not straightforward. Right. It, often because we don't feel safe, because we're trying to protect someone, because it's impolite, because there's a secret...
1: Don't want to play all Uh, of our cards.
0: Don't want to play all the cards because we're afraid because there's a power in that uh, imbalance in the room because it's, or, or especially like a man uh, flirting with a woman. And I not to, you know, I know a lot about you. You don't really flirt. You don't.
1: Oh, when I do, I say, yes, (laughs) I want to take you to bed right now. How about it? Wink.
0: That's not flirting. That's you.
1: I'm being straightforward, mind. right to the point.
0: <laughs> but when men flirt with me, there's a lot of like going around it. There's a lot of like the lingering eyes, the subtext, the do you want to, um, and it's very Your contextual. Hair looks nice. Yes, I mean that that has literally happened to me. And it literally was heading in the direction of I want to take you out on a date and a date has connotations. And yes, the from the hair to the hotel room bed was, you know, the trajectory. Mm -hmm. So, yes, sometimes men are blunt and sometimes they aren't. And this is the complexity of masculinity.
1: Men are nuanced. Like most humans.
0: Yeah. I once had a guy spend like two and a half hours not saying what he wanted. And then he slammed his lips into the side of my face as I was like getting ready to leave. I had been direct. I had literally said I am in a relationship. I'm not looking for anyone else right now. And I'm enjoying talking culture and having this exchange with you. But he was not direct because he knew that if he said, I'm only talking to you because I want you to come to bed with me, that I would have ended the conversation.
1: Or a nice slap to the face. I guess. (laughs) I'm just saying some people might give a slap to the face.
0: I'm generally not that aggressive with suitors. There are easier ways to let men down. Or women.
1: Or who knows, maybe the person says, you know what, I want to go to bed with you too. And then it works out. But it's coin toss, really coin toss.
0: Yes. All right. So I can safely say that men can be nuanced and indirect. And sometimes they are direct. And this is actually more based on character and situation and culture than it is based on maleness.
1: Yes, I agree. Shall we
0: move? Shall we move on to quote two?
1: Let's go to quote two.
0: All right. Do you want to read it?
1: Sure. Quote two, I usually focus on three essential ways in which men differ from women. These are in decreasing order of importance. Ego, the male ego is on average different from the female ego. The male ego can drive a guy to do things that are slightly crazy or a lot of crazy. There is no simple explanation for this and asking for one is never going to get an honest answer. The male ego can get a bridge built, but it can also result result in a torn ACL, go figure. Point two, lust. Guys are visual. The way women dress creates visual images in a guy's brain that can linger for days, months, or even decades. I hope I don't have to draw a picture here, but honestly, women seem to be completely unaware that guys don't think their dress is cute. Guys aren't looking at your dress at all, ladies, they're looking at what's under the dress or what's not even covered by the dress. If they like what they see, it'll stick in their brains for a long time. You can decide for yourself whether or not you want those images in the guy's brain. Three, feelings. Guys are a lot less likely to share their feelings than women are. For most guys, feelings are private things which are none of your business. If you ask and he won't tell, then asking again is not going to get you anywhere you want to go, but it could get you blacklisted for any future conversations. Be warned. And once again, reading these points, reading these points now.
0: So you're done quoting.
1: I'm done quoting him. Sorry. I'm done with the quote. This is now my hot take, my very hot take here. (laughs) I feel like I feel like a dog that's not housebroken based on his descriptions it it makes me feel that you know i have this huge ego that i that controls me if i see a pretty lady on the street i have to hump her leg and i can't talk about my feelings whatsoever to the lady i just humped her leg for it's I don't know, I think I'm gonna get spayed or neutered. I, I don't know for sure.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna stop you right there. You seem very offended by this assessment of masculinity.
1: It It is because I don't think the male ego gets a bridge built. I think a desire to not have to walk around the long way and just wanna cross over the river or gorge or highway Gets a build bridge built. I think necessity facilitates the building of a bridge. A torn ACL, okay, that's possible. I can see ego causing a torn ACL. So the two not, that, oh, go for it's it. It's not
0: just a male thing that'll get a torn ACL. Like us women are completely capable of that level of ego. Right. Ask me how I know.
1: <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> However, the two points—the two points that really made me feel like my gosh it just makes me feel like I'm some sort of animal the idea that guys are very visual I mean, it's true I think most people are very visual that's why we have eyes but the fact that when we see a pretty person or a cute dress we're not looking at the dress we're looking what's underneath the dress or what the dress isn't covering like That is not true for all guys. For me, if I say dress is cute, it's because I actually think it's cute. Or if I like somebody's socks, which I said to a girl at the climbing gym not too long ago, uh, she has Zelda socks. I loved it. But I don't remember what she looks like. She did not linger in my thought for my head for days or weeks Only her
0: socks. Only Only her socks. socks. I
1: remember her socks. I don't remember what she looked like. Men, Men could be lustful women could be lustful. Lust is just a thing. But if a guy says, again, if a guy likes your hairstyle and he says nice hair or nice dress, that might just all that it might be. You don't know. He could be a fashion designer for all we know. Or maybe he likes the colors. Or maybe he's not saying what he's actually thinking. He's saying that I would love to take you to bed. It nuances again
0: just like me talking about the hair compliment right it could be either or some guys actually have a mental process where they're not driven by images at all like that's neurodiversity yeah and like for example i'm i'm gonna get personal here for a second but you do not notice when i lose or gain weight we're talking about large amounts of weight
1: it's gradual. If it happened all at once, then maybe I'll notice.
0: Maybe. But gradual,
1: gradual. I I do not notice it.
0: You you don't notice it even when we've like traveled and I've like gone up or down twenty pounds, which on a person of my size is a lot. You don't notice. I do not. Nowhere near the amount that girls seem to think about our weight.
1: <laughs> For me personally. And this is for all the ladies and guys out there. Me personally, I tend to focus on the face. So body types, their bodies, they they typically have all the same anatomies, but I tend to look at the face a lot and tend to be attracted to face because that's the area I'm most likely to look at as I'm talking to people. So,
0: And there are some guys who have told me that they're much more motivated by different parts of the body other than the face. It's a complexity. So the danger here isn't so much of writing a male character that's visually motivated. The danger is writing all your male characters to be visually motivated in the same way, thinking that that's just because what that's what men do.
1: Right. All men, when they see a cute dress on a girl, they're like, yep. Nice figure underneath. Mm-hmm. That all men, all men do that. Yep.
0: <laughs> some men have no idea what female clothing is covering.
1: Hopefully, skin. I yeah.
0: female clothing <laughs> is a in some cases, especially if we go back in history, an art of redesigning what's underneath. Actually, male clothing is an art of redesigning what's underneath into. Whatever the fashionable outer image is, there's so much going on underneath clothing technologically that it, I get really excited about it. I'll shut up on that.
1: No, no worries. <laughs> well, third point, third point was feelings that guys are less likely to share their feelings than women are. And the idea Can that I start this one, Go I'm just
0: going to call BS because we're labeling feeling the quote here seems to assume that feelings are like these soft feelings these emotions happiness joy crying but men show anger all the time it's a lot more socially appropriate for men to show anger and we miss something that i saw a lot as we did our research and had our conversations is that anger didn't get labeled as a feeling
1: Mm -hmm. or frustration
0: yes so it's not yeah. So it's not that men are less likely to share their feelings. Is that they're less likely to share feelings that get them labeled as being womanly.
1: Right. And that was the thing I kind of want to touch on, is that it's not so much that guys are less likely to share their feelings. It's not the natural it's deposition. No. Uh, I keep mixing up these two words. It's not deposition. Disposition. Disposition. There it is. A lot of lawyers speak lately, but it's not the natural disposition of men to not share their feelings. It's something that's been taught to men as they grow up that you don't, you don't show weakness. You don't show sorrow or sadness. You don't show these quote unquote woman emotions because then you won't be a real man so but again rage frustration enthusiasm that your team scored those are emotions and men definitely share them
0: if we go back in literature like let's go back to homer Iliad, the odyssey those are very emotional men that are the primary characters in those texts, the gods, the soldiers, the warriors, the kings, how they have great passionate loves, they have great passionate regrets, they have great passionate exaltations and celebrations. And all of that, as we write men, we need to remember, look different in different different cultures, look different in different situations, don't forget to bring in class, religion, etc., but especially as we're writing men, remember that what we see in men as individuals on the street is not necessarily what our male characters are experiencing in their head when the door is closed. And as writers, we're writing all of that. We write behind the door, we write inside the head. It's not safe to assume that what we see on the outside when we're like, yeah, I know men, or I'm familiar with men from this culture, is actually what's going on in their internal lives or behind a closed door or what they're doing with their best buddy or their wife etc right
1: and going back to writing again you know men expressing their emotions and so forth i'm thinking of romeo from romeo and juliet by our standards by our quote unquote standards in today's society romeo would not be very manly he pines, he like, has these mood swings, and one could say um, he's very emotional when his cousin Tybalt is killed. He's he's pretty emotional.
0: He's also a teenager. He's supposed he to be emotional. emotional.
1: <laughs> For the 1400s, 1500s, when this was written, or who knows when this was actually based on, no, he's a man now. After he turned eight, that's it, manhood.
0: All of Shakespeare's plays has highly emotive and emotional male characters. And that is one of the reasons that his work has endured. Like he wrote comic book characters of his time, like these extremely vivid, emotionally vivid characters. I agree. Do we have anything else we wanted to do talking about Randy Ingerman's article or are we ready to move on?
1: I do want to touch on the idea that this article was written in 2010 or is it 2009, 2010. And I feel, I feel the advice that he gives in his article for writing men is certainly a product of the time. I feel around this time, the idea of what a man is, or the ideas of what make a man a man started to change, at least from my perspective. And it seems that he's describing what was considered the norm back then of how society views men. And he was giving advice based on these expectations that society had before you know, we started to question these expectations on a larger scale.
0: I do think Randy was very genuine and came from a well-intentioned place as he was writing this article. Mm-hmm. And that brings just another layer of complexity. And as we're writing, we have to remember that our characters come from different generations with different expectations. That may not stop what we actually view what the character actually experiences, but it may control the narrative of how other characters judge him until, say, there's a character arc where someone can, like, break through that facade of what an expectation is. Because people are going to feel whatever they feel, but it may not be okay for them to feel that.
1: Right. That's my last point.
0: All right. So yeah, think about race, think about class. Now you got to think about generations because I would say you and I sitting here as what we're 35 now.
1: We are 35. Yes.
0: We can stand here and we can see very different expectations for behavior from people coming up after us and people coming before us. Like just in terms of masculinity.
1: Right. I do feel that the idea of masculinity started to change in our adulthood. Like we grew up with one idea of masculinity and we are seeing how that idea has been challenged and how it's evolving.
0: And that keeps showing up in the books that are read, the books that are being written. And we have to keep that in mind as we craft characters. Yes. So we have this article by Robin Woods um, published in 2016. I'll let you take it out.
1: Okay, so this article is called Writing Male Characters. And one thing I liked about this article is it points out that the ideal male is fiction, that this concept of the ideal male is what we believe a man would do or should do in a given situation. And as men, we tend to compare ourselves to this ideal male in our head.
0: Yeah, Woods has some of the best graphs of using masculine standards as a prop propeller that I have seen written in our research for this episode. So I'm just going to go ahead and quote from his article. So this is by Woods. Safe truce, like men can't process their emotions are inaccurate, and worse, they're useless to authors. Instead, consider that men have been told that not engaging with their emotion is a key to masculinity. A male character who just doesn't have emotions is a joke, less than two-dimensional. More interesting and more realistic is the character who has strong emotions but suppresses them, and then why? why he does so or the character who has rejected the masculine standards and chosen to express what they feel as a personal aside that would go back to the TikTok person we talked about earlier in this article Mm
2: -hmm. so
0: going back to the quote consider also the character who tries to suppress their emotion but fails or the character who has suppressed their emotions for so long they have troubles bringing them to the fore This complexity and breadth of possibility presented allows for masculine characters that some might call sissies to exist alongside hardened and battled characters like you find in the 300 films. So this is what I'm saying myself. Um, So to understand that there are these failures and these limits and characters trying to live up to a standard that we as authors understand exists. But hey, standards are fictional. Like Real people don't live up to them. Um, so our writing is a reaction to the construction of masculinity, and all of these characters are still men. They're all valid characters to write.
1: I know for me personally, and one of the reasons why I really like this article is if everyone wrote their male characters to this ideal standard the society holds for men, or male characters, stories will become boring after a while because you know exactly how a male character is going to respond to a situation. You know how he's thinking. You know what he might do. It's There's no mystery there, if you will.
0: You really like not knowing what's going to happen.
1: I do not. This is part of the reason why I don't like watching movie trailers. I don't want to possibly try to piece together what's going to happen.
0: All right, so let's grapple for a minute, and I I think this kind of comes from many different articles we read and a little bit of um, Wood's article as well. This concept of men, male characters, and power and leadership, because this is a theme that just showed up over and over again.
1: All right. I feel that this is definitely more subjective, but um, this is social expectation that men should have the power and i believe saying like thrusting this power onto men this is damaging uh, even if they're more naturally they inclined to be dominant let's let's say that there is a guy who sees himself as more dominant compared to everyone else around him What happens when he loses that power when he loses a match or something or what if he's not capable or skilled to handle a situation that he had to be in control of, simply because he's the man? And honestly, this reminds me of something that happened that we saw while shortly after coming back from living overseas, we were staying with my mom and her husband in memphis at the time and for years for years and years and years my mom did rental properties. she would renovate old homes and sell them or yeah sell them or lease them out to tenants and she's been doing this for years as long as i can remember so she married not too long before we arrived back. And they were working on this house together. And I found out that she wasn't the one heading the project. Instead, her husband was the one heading the project. Her and new her new husband. I don't know if he's had any experience whatsoever with um, house renovations and so forth, but they had this house and they had a potential tenant who, who's Apartment contract was coming to an end. There's a deadline for when the house had to be ready. And um, it was assured that it would be ready. But the new husband being in charge of it, he wasn't really getting the project rolling fast enough. There was delays, um, a little bit of mismanagement going on. And I'm not sure why exactly he agreed. Maybe because he believed that as a man, he's supposed to lead this project. But what we saw was that this project was not finished on time. The potential tenant was in a bind because they had to figure out where to stay as the house that they believe would be ready for them was not ready for them. And, you know, all these problems with this situation came from the fact that a man was put into a position of power that he probably was not suited for. Whereas I suppose his wife, or in this case, my mom was better suited for this situation.
0: You know, when she stepped in, things moved, because she knew what she was doing. This was something she'd invested in becoming proficient at.
1: Right. And, and on top of that, you know, when the wife comes in, and starts moving everything and things are now getting done. What, what does that do to the man, the male psyche? Does he believe that he's a failure? Does he believe that he's not worthy of his wife's love because he didn't perform to this standard of, you know, being in a position of leadership and being successful?
0: I think as writers, we really need to make space for characters who are male and not in leadership and not in power. And we do, we write these characters all the time, but they're not often given the hero treatment. They're not, of, they're not always given the, this is someone to emulate or someone to respect kind of treatment. And right. they also rarely get to be a romantic lead, which kind of breaks my heart. I'll circle back to that in a second. I'm going to bring up a direct answer to what you said. What happens to a man who loses and say, that the movie Gladiator, starring Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe's character, Maximus, he loses everything, his family, his rank, even his freedom. He's sold as a slave. And an insecure man would view himself as a failure for losing power and public adulation, losing everything in this case. But Maximus is an example of a man who was truly a leader without craving power. He had dignity in all the positions he held, even if the positions themselves did not have dignity. And that actually led to natural leadership because he was a natural leader. There were other characters in that film who were not natural leaders, but still had dignity in any position they held. And this is a a complexity of writing where power does not have to be attached to a male character for us to still write them in a way that is desirous.
1: Right. And there's also this expectation, I think in society, speaking Western society, I should say, that men are just expected to be good at things. They're expected to be competent.
0: And um, that is a fiction. Not everyone is competent. We often ascribe to characters' skill sets and successes if they are the hero or the male lead of whatever we're writing. And it's often beyond what is reasonable simply because they are men and leaders. We sometimes don't back it up. We're just like, oh, he's he's the prince and he's good at something or he's the prince and he's terrible at it. And so, you know, they should be a rebellion, but that's a whole nother thing it kind of drives me crazy. I love Star Wars. I will talk about Star Wars a lot. I've already done that in this episode, but seriously, Luke very, very quickly gets good at military things in a way that is not supported by the story because he's that hero and he's that military hero. And so that's what people want. That's the people, the story people want to read. I've done martial arts training. You have done martial arts training. The speed at which Luke becomes good enough to fight Darth Vader at all or to fly in in battle mm-hmm. is just really really fast. And I'm just using Star Wars because everyone recognize almost everyone is going to recognize that story, but the training montage that three months in the mountains and you come back a fighter kind of thing that happens in our stories so often it's a way of like trying to support but not really support of here's the character they're the lead and now we're making them really powerful
1: right that honestly reminded me of a joke that's that um, comes up every now and then on twitch streams that i joined in or host is whenever we want to explain why the main character is able to do something or why these good things are happening or whatever, just to explain something that makes no sense that shouldn't be happening for the character we're playing as, we say, Oh, it's going to win because he's the main character. That's just it. The answer is he's the main character or she's the main character. So that's why they're good.
0: And those are the stories we want to read. Reading is escapism. Movies, films, TV shows, these are all escapisms. Yes, we want our characters to succeed. Otherwise, you're reading tragedies. That's not the same kind of escape that people are reading for in many cases, although writing tragedies is a valid um form of writing. They're not a very big genre right now. <laughs> so especially right now. But that's another sure topic. Enough. But As writers, we could support these stories. We could make it reasonable. We could stop giving our children and young adults and teenage readers unrealistic expectations of what it takes to be successful.
1: Speaking of unrealistic expectations, so I've known about this character forever, and only recently have I taken the time to go through the whole series Indiana Jones. Until recently, I did not know he was a professor.
0: I did. did I was kind of disappointed when I got to college and realized professors like mostly stayed in their offices.
1: I <laughs> I did not know. I I always assumed that he was just some adventurer guy who just goes out there and do things. I And, you know, it's never explained as far as I know why he is really good with whips. He swings off of branches. He like disarms people with this whip he's very precise with it uh, i don't know how many years of training that takes and how does he get the funds to go on the adventures that he goes on and naturally he has to get the girl because main character and male but he's skilled at driving he is a great marksmanship or he has great marksmanship and again distinguished pro- professor good chance tenured But, and I know this is in the 1930s and 1940s, he's fighting Nazi Germany and so forth. But I don't get the impression that a professor before World War II is going to be, and he's pretty young, I would say maybe in his 30s for the movies, he he seems very experienced. He seems to have the experience of a well-trained soldier Who decided to go into (laughs) archaeology? I I I don't know.
0: I think what you're running into here is the myth of the capable gentleman. He's learned. He's physically skilled. He's physically capable. Of course, he's handsome. And he's triumphant. You know, sex appeal, plenty of money, and a good storyline.
1: I I do like watching these films. Don't get me wrong. I do like watching them. I like... Characters like Indiana Jones, on some level, I do like those characters, but I can never believe in these male characters. It's I watch it because it's fun to watch. I don't watch it because I want to emulate him, it, with the exception of John Wick. That's a different story. I definitely want to emulate John Wick.
0: John Wick's storyline, though, and his capacity for things is actually much better supported
1: right i still believe john wick as a character as a male character is believable now the fact that he seems to survive everything that's thrown at him that's a little unbelievable but <laughs> he got some
0: mathematical statistics for how many bullets
1: that he i don't know if he can donate blood because of all the lead inside of his body <laughs> but that aside yeah everything going back else to about this... john wick i do believe he is a believable male character.
0: Yeah. So going back to this myth of capable gentlemen, let, let's pull that apart a little bit.
1: All right. Well, you know, if I had to, just my own train of thought here is I feel that this idea of a capable gentleman, someone who is all these things we've mentioned before, I suspect comes from what lower classes thought of what a lord was expected to be or have, you know, a lord is being an upper class man and. I think. These men referring to the upper upper class men were more attractive and definitely had more money. I suspect that's what people in the lower classes saw as. A real man, especially a gentle man.
0: I think to a certain extent, upper classes also had these ideals based on what they sent their sons to go and learn. And by classes and upper classes and nobles here, I'm really talking about Western Europe and uh, large swaths of North America. And then, you know, uh, colonialistic families around the world. So this is really challenging because it makes it harder. It makes it really hard for a man of lesser means, education, resources, et cetera, to be quote unquote a real man. Mm -hmm. Um, This brings up male shaming. Like when a a woman is angry that a man can't take her to dinner. Um, I'm thinking of the film Shrek. I think the storyline plays on this idea of the male ideal where Shrek is falling far short of it because he lives in a swamp without titles. Uh, What he has going for him is brute strength and, you know, a sharp tongue.
1: I mean, granted, he is an ogre. To quote Dracula, what is man? But (laughs) I I digress. Video games, I digress. I will say, though, that about a man being shamed for not taking a woman to dinner it's not always so much that he can't take her to dinner. Sometimes he can't take her to the right kind of dinner. You know, some there's this idea that when you take a date out for dinner, naturally you have to pay for it, but you don't take your date out to McDonald's, or I would even say maybe well, home cooked meal might be more acceptable. But the idea that you have to quote unquote wine and dine your dates. Somewhere nice and fancy. That's that is a expectation that honestly a lot of people cannot obtain.
0: It's kind of this dating dance ritual of can you provide kind of thing, and that doesn't always translate well. Also, there are women who would love to do that for their male partners, or women who want to do that for their female partners. It's or, or women who don't want someone to do that for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there is this expectation. It's a big enough expectation that it has to be grappled with. Um, so going back to this expectation <laughs> and to this fantasy, like some concept of masculinity and desirability that we have in literature and in real life is based around the wealth of a male individual. And so, uh, let me introduce you to a subgenre. It's mm-hmm. called billionaire romances. Oh, it's a genre.
1: Billionaire so, romances.
0: Yes. So the man is always a billionaire, and the woman is this could the come bachelor. From... <laughs> I haven't watched The Bachelor.
1: That's all I'm thinking right now. I was like, billionaire romances. I'm like, yes, this has to be The Bachelor. Big house. All these people come in. Has to, okay, tell me. Tell me what a billionaire romance is like.
0: Um, I have the feeling, knowing you, that you are not going to like this. But anyway, billionaire romances is a highly lucrative subgenre. Like, it sells well. It's mostly written by women. Um, okay. And there are women leads in the romances. Like, women, female, main characters that come from all social classes. Falling no. in love, often being pursued by men who are billionaires. So, five or so years ago, I think it was millionaire romances like the man was a millionaire, but now it's firmly billionaire romances have taken over. Your face is so weird right now. <laughs> Go so on. Fiction is keeping up with inflation. Look and in the rise of the mega rich it's literally the fantasy of a really really rich man sweeping you off your sweeping you off your feet you being a woman although i know a few people who have like swapped roles a little bit but mostly it's men who are billionaires falling madly in love and pursuing a woman who has less money
2: oh <laughs> hold
1: on
0: oh, oh that's... I mean, what it's not but, much different than the girl waiting for their prince to show up I, in Disney I, films.
1: I, of old. Yes, but there were less people. Uh, just that is that is definitely a fantasy. my my thought is what guy, what billionaire decides, you know what? I need a mate and he jumps in his private jet, <laughs> flies to, I don't know, Oklahoma, and decides, hey, you. Let's be my wife. And of course, they're gonna to have to be to the bakery because I think all romances take place in the bakery or floral shop. So he gets on his private jet, probably lands on top of the bakery, propels down, goes inside the bakery, sees this lovely struggling, maybe single mother woman selling croissants, and he's like, you know what? You're the one. I, this is hmm, you know what? Not my book, not my genre
0: no and i can understand in today's age why women would enjoy this escapism uh there was a couple of authors i think they wrote the billionaire woman's romance where it was like they each wrote a book in a series and it was the women sweeping men off their feet um which i'm all uh, for the equality of it <laughs> like I, if you swap it around in your head does it feel different Like a woman shows up and is like, hey, you, Luby, I have so much money. What's missing in my life is love. And you are the love of my life. I'm going to make all your problems disappear. Just fall in love with me.
1: I will be wary because that person clearly was stalking me. (laughs) How do they know me? So many questions.
0: Stalking is actually something that happens in some of these books.
1: That's (laughs) not right. No. I mean, okay. I guess for the plot of the story, yes. But in real life, no. Don't, <laughs> don't stalk. Don't Facebook stalk. Just, mm, just, it's no. a
0: fantasy. It's, it's it's a it's a make my problems go away. It's a Cinderella story.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. It's just, I mean, the chances. I mean, it's a fantasy. But the chances that someone just a rich person is just going to come to your neighborhood of all the neighborhoods in America or the world and just sweep some unsuspecting woman or man off their feet. Is just, I don't, it's clearly a fantasy. And speaking of Cinderella, like, I feel like Cinderella is a little different because she actually put some effort into this. She, well, her fairy godmother put some effort into this, but she faked it till she made it. And I don't know if that's happening in these books i mean
0: sometimes it is oftentimes there's like reasons that the man would fall in love with the woman like they have a good backstory she's caring she's the nanny of his kid um she she brings something else to the table i haven't read very many of these i've just read about them i've said before on the podcast i have difficult reading male female romances
1: i i'm just thinking the billionaire he like sweeps into a town and he goes into a tech shop and there she is this beautiful computer technician he's like you're the one and he sweeps her off her feet (laughs) and she fixes all his computers
0: Yes, I mean there are some storylines where she like decides that even though he has all the money in the world, she's not interested in him. And then he has to like prove himself to her despite his money. Like there's a hundred different ways to write this, probably a hundred thousand different ways to write it. It's just that the subgenre is the fantasy of money not being a problem. And this high desirability of a man who has that much money, going back to the capable gentleman thing we were talking about, where Rank, social status, relative strength, etc. Going back to like what makes a hero in our stories when in terms of masculinity. That's why I brought it up.
1: That is that still blows my mind. Okay. Fantasy. I'm just <laughs> I'm gonna sorry, leave it a fantasy. I didn't, and I didn't let it mean be. to
0: blow your mind that much.
1: Oh, it's gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it it really is problem solving, though. This idea that the man is going to make the problems go away. It's not just men pushing this narrative. Women push it, too, actually. Mm. So um, let me try to bring this back down to like actual advice people can use. So going back to okay. this idea of the capable no money problem male fantasy it's not the only fantasy and should female writers be concerned about it? Should the, female writers be wary of writing this kind of fantasies?
1: I, I would say, yes. I would think that female writers should be concerned. I mean, imagine if the shoe was on the other foot. What if male writers were writing their fantasy women or the fantasy, yeah, you know, the fantasy women. And that became the standard for all books, um all the media. Like, if we continue to write these tropes, this idea of what a man or male is supposed to be, these fantasies, it's really a propagation of an unrealistic standard that can't be met.
0: Going back to what I think Wood said about the ideal male is fiction from the start. Right. So can you make concrete for the sake of disu- discussion, what kind of damage do these over-idealizations do to men? Because socially we've talked about like, you know, male beauty uh, female beauty standards being destructive for women, body types like you know, have to be skinny and all that. But let's let's take this in like what kind of damage do these unrealistic ideals do to men?
1: Well, let me take you down to Royd City on the (laughs) Royd Express to steroid abuse. Um, I mean, this is, I think steroid abuse is uh, anabolic, anabolic steroid abuse is a concrete type of example of damage for men. This is idea that men have to look, you know, bulked up or be big or strong and so forth. And People will abuse steroids to get that look even though it's damaging to their bodies in the long run. And And most
0: humans never look like that to start with. Right. It's not natural to humanity.
1: It's not natural. It will mess with your body chemistry. It will cause complications. It can cause complications with your heart or your kidneys. It's is damaging your body and it attempts to look like what you believe or what society believes that a strong fit man looks and another example is you know domestic domestic abuse men feeling that they can't leave an abusive relationship because as a man they should be able to take anything that's thrown at them and you know suck it up buttercup And just move on. And and that's so you know, they're on the nightly news because they murdered their whole family because they just couldn't take it anymore.
0: That does happen. And this brings up an entire array of issues that we haven't talked about yet, but that we need to things that, you know, show up or don't show up in our fiction. For example, domestic abuse of male partners, like you just said, by both other males and females, it's extremely difficult for men to get help to be taken seriously. They don't have social resources for escape, mostly because we as a society don't think we should provide it. And I'm not saying that women have a lot of power to leave these relationships. There are major, major issues for women to leave, but men can end up in the same exact power imbalances and not have like that hotline to call they are not accepted into shelters they their friends may not be as willing to listen to them because media fiction social expectations uh they it's just not acceptable (laughs) it's just not allowed and I'm seeing some of this being addressed in LGBTQ plus literature, where men are allowed to be domestic abuse systems, allowed to have survived childhood sexual assault or adult sexual assault, and given space to grapple with that and to be supported. But the canon of English literature, previous to say the past 10 years, doesn't often doesn't really give space for this. But it has always existed. These problems have always existed. But because of this ideal, we've kind of erased it or never allowed it to exist in our media.
1: All right. I mean, again, my hot take is, you know, the impression is that men should just be able to handle this, whatever this is, you know, whatever hardship it is, and that they don't need help. And if they can't handle it, then they aren't real men they aren't uh, they are not worthy of the title of man and they deserve whatever punishment or abuse that they get and i believe if you find yourself in this situation you should come to luby's boot camp of manhood that's right <laughs> Luby's Bank boot camp of manhood we accept all men and we will train you to be a real man err feel the sweat feel the burn only 999 a year so that's it, all honesty, all honesty. Boot camp I'm promotion aside, i too hard
0: to say that that is not a thing.
1: Boot camp promotion aside, but if you do want to sign up, just let me know. Nine hundred ninety nine a year. uh, All honesty, it is damaging to men who are abused, who are taken advantage of, and they can't go out and get this help because and because they can't go out and get help for themselves. And then that's us you know, nightly news.
0: Yeah. Or because of the suppression of acknowledgement of needs, you know, they, they reach out, they become touch starved. as I don't, I think I've mentioned it before on this podcast, but touch starved is a real medical condition and it's extremely painful. And I have experienced it. I wasn't touched by anyone for months while I was on assignment somewhere. Um, And in a society where men aren't allowed to be hugged or touched outside of sex, you you start to see some really erratic behaviors. They hurt people um, or, you know, robberies happen, suicides happen. A, A lot of men commit suicide. And So many of the missing people that my brothers when they were in search and rescue went looking for were male suicides. Even though there are resources out there. um, The media, the way we talk about men, the way we relate to them, the way we write them, the things we say casually to each other in our daily lives, our expectations of manliness, this all creates myths and rules in the minds of men, and the people interacting with men that does make or break lives they can really in in previous episodes we've talked about books that have saved lives because they acknowledge something and books can also push a narrative that break lives right so go ahead
1: well i was just thinking um growing up i won't say that i saw this in books but i did see it in media and you know when i think about writing male characters I typically think of like movies and games and so forth but when i was growing up i was under the impression that i had to look a certain way like i had to be bulked up or whatnot and for years i thought that i wasn't being a real man you know teenage years i thought i could not be a real man because i could not bulk up uh, it took it took some time to undo that damage, but imagine for all the other young men out there who believe they have to act or look a certain way to be accepted as a man. And they don't really get to grow as a person because they're constantly trying to put themselves in this box to have that as is- exception.
0: Yeah. So we were just talking. Um, about what women writers should be concerned about or what writers writing men in general should be concerned about. But honestly, this wish fulfillment writing is not just pushed by women writing billionaire romances or anything else that's wish fulfillment for women. Um, Wish fulfillment writing for men happens by men as well w- writers like john ringo or Stuart woods who i mentioned in writing women we want to read episodes before this which i told you about mm. you remember me telling you about that one uh, how
1: could i forget <laughs>
0: um and he Stuart woods is the one who writes about the mega rich detective type character who gets all the women and jets around the world and is a hero who solves crime So what about this, the male writer to the male reader? This is the male gaze on the male character.
1: I could definitely speak to this a bit. So because I'm a male writer, I did have to come to terms with this for myself. I mean, I believe other men, I believe men write other men the way they want to see themselves, the main character, the protagonist, and myself included when i was writing my male character my main character i had to stop and think am i writing a character that i want to be or am i trying to divorce him from myself or my expectations of what i think of man should be and um you know i think everybody has this idea of what a real man is or what's acceptable for manliness and that comes across in the writing. So it's still wish fulfillment. And if we're not careful, it can still be damaging to the male psyche. Um, and to that, the Stuart Woods case to get every girl he ever wants to sleep with, you know, he has to be rich and smart. And that is not something we should be teaching men or young boys that, you know, no one will love you unless you're rich and smart. Or no one will sleep with you unless you're rich and smart.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a real problem. It does lead to resentment. And it, it actually makes the world more dangerous for women. <laughs> because men resent us because they think that we're expecting something from them they can't give us. Right. And that actually leads directly to violence. So I I want my men to, I want all the men around me to feel happy and self fulfilled and self realized and working towards being, you know, complex individuals. I'm much less worried about them meeting some sort of masculine standard that doesn't keep me safer as a woman walking down the street.
1: No, no, I mean, Honestly, if you understood Woods' book, um, that'll probably make you put you in danger, because you know the main character is probably going to want to sleep with you. So something has to happen to you to make him want to go save you. If I haven't read his books, personally, I'd rather not. <laughs> but I'm, I must not be his his target audience. But
0: knowing I would you think, think you're not.
1: I don't. I don't think so. No. It's another
0: form of wish fulfillment. It's definitely wish fulfillment writing. So leaving Stuart Woods alone.
1: Uh, Oh, I'll do it on a podcast. Go on. (laughs) I'll leave him alone alone on a podcast.
0: Wish fulfillment can be dangerous. I think we have established that. But can we write inspiring men? You've read my books. I -hmm. do have characters who are extraordinary. Yes. How, what's the difference? How can we go from writing an inspiring character to not creating, not being a writing this kind of character that's a wish fulfillment character that's unreasonable that would lead to destructive concepts of masculinity? So, you've read my book, The Queen's Enforcer. I'm just going to keep it to just one book for an example. Okay. What would keep Jarvis, my protagonist, from being a wish fulfillment character that? is an unreasonable level of masculinity for young men to read or any man to read or a woman to expect from her men.
1: Whoa well first of all since we're talking about your book uh, The Queen's Enforcer I would like to say that you have a buffet of men in that book. I think you have a very healthy balance of men in your book. (laughs) So if I you're looking I did ask for, you
0: about this bef- while I was writing it. Like, this was something we consciously talked about.
1: I'm just saying, don't all stroke part of a my ego male. here. All part of a healthy, balanced diet. Anyway, uh, seeing how you're married to me, and I'm not very Jarvis like, I want to say that um, as far as if Jarvis is wish fulfillment, I definitely don't think he's wish fulfillment at all i think people could probably get horny from reading about jarvis and think oh yeah that's my kind of man i i i don't know it doesn't work for me but i feel that jarvis is definitely broken and definitely vulnerable at points which is not typical of the wish fulfillment male I mean, he's strong he's pretty strong and very capable i don't think he's rich
0: he's not rich
1: oh i i he could have fooled me but he has a he has a trait that this ideal typically doesn't have as far as um being a wish fulfillment male and that is vulnerability and even showing affection so
0: Jarvis doesn't show start out being capable of vulnerability i basically break him until he is um and i think he can be wish fulfillment to a point because he can fight because he does try but he is not everything in one character like you were saying about indiana jones Hmm. and he's not perfection, he's complicated, he's flawed, and he has to learn, and it's messy. He doesn't get it right the first even five or six times. He's no one's savior. He's not bright in shiny armor. There are things about him that were intentionally created to be laudable, but they're also all backed up. There's no big Trini montage where he suddenly has a whole bunch of powers. Everything's backed up from the start and baked into the character. And that didn't just happen. Like, it took a long time to make sure that he was not a wish fulfillment character.
1: Hmm. Oh, just out of curiosity, what about my character, Peter (laughs) and the visitor? He's handsome, he's smart, he has a lot of money. Wish fulfillment?
0: Well, to start with, waggle my eyebrows. I'm Polly, so I don't believe in finding all my fantasies in one man.
1: Oh,
0: uh-huh. go on. <laughs> but is Peter wish fulfillment? Um, No, not for me, not in terms of masculinity, wish fulfillment. I think my enjoyment of Peter is in his questions, his confusion. He's the vehicle that... To- is provided to explore the world you've created in the Corrupted Chain series. He asks the questions that should be asked. Does he make me hot and bothered? No. But I don't need all my protagonists that I like to make me hot and bothered. There's Romance is not the only genre out there. Mm. And ideation. there's a lot of books we can write that just make us think.
1: All right. I mean... That is when I first started writing this book out and trying to think of what my male, my main character, my male main character is like. Uh, that was one of the things I wanted Peter to be is this vehicle to show that there are different types of uh, men out there. You know, He has all these markers being handsome, rich, and successful and so forth, but by, some people's standards and i believe one reviewer standards he's not really a believable male character and i think it's because the fact that he doesn't do the typical male things and he's He's a main character
0: he's i think i remember that review peter is almost without aggression that's actually a character flaw is he's so lacking in aggression
1: right And again, there is a character in this book, not to give too much away, but there is a character in the book who wants to definitely take Peter to bed. And, you know, I suppose someone could look at that and say, that's not realistic, but it honestly is, depending on the characters, if you will.
0: Yeah, I think there is room for different kind of men to be attractive to different kind of women or different kind of persons, different men. Depending on which way someone is attracted, and this is one of the reasons I argue for writing a multiplicity of characters, of men characters, of female characters, of gender fluid or gender non-binary characters. Because literature only recently has started opening up for more readers to actually find their own wish fulfillments and to find characters like them or characters that they want to like that aren't like them. And wish fulfillment so often falls into these very narrow lines of some sort of socialized, culturalized idealization of femme or male or rich or powerful or whatnot. And that makes literature boring in the end. I I read a whole bunch of a couple of genres, and I burnt out on reading the genre because the same characters were playing all the roles. Billionaire? Okay, I burnt out on that genre after five books, okay, okay <laughs> but but I burnt out on reading certain kind of like detective novels, et cetera, because the same characters were playing the same roles. And so when we have this multiplicity of what we allow characters to be depending on any of their identity markers, we actually keep, Things more interesting. We still have to write within our genres. We still have to meet our expectations to a point so that we don't, because if we are writing to be read, we have to figure out why people are reading our books. But there's still so much we can play with within that. And we have to remember that readers are very diverse and we can write for that.
1: Yes. So yeah,
0: Peter doesn't human. rev my engines, but he might rev someone else's engines.
1: Oh, does he rev our engines? Probably not for the right reasons, but <laughs> engines are revved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we've answered that one. What do you think? I
1: think I think it's been answered.
0: All right. So do we want to talk about the next topic this month or do we want to save it for next month's episode?
1: I'm thinking next month would be better. I feel that it will tie in more with next month's episode.
0: All right. So we're going to wa- wrap up our conversation for August um, at this point. We have a lot more to say. If you have thoughts or comments, go ahead and send them in. We will try to record answers if they come in in time. If not, we're recording around our schedule and we'll answer in other ways. Uh, but thank you for joining us today. Louvi. thank you for giving up your weekends to help me work on this. Thank and you for having me on there. <laughs> thank you for all of the many, many conversations where we have talked about writing characters of all genders and presentations.
1: Well, audience can't see it, but I'm puffing my chest right now. <clears throat> You're welcome. <laughs>
0: okay (laughs) um all right so we will continue this conversation um in our next episode and i'm looking forward to it catch you all later take care joining us music for this show was written and produced by eric mills if you found this episode helpful please rate and review on your favorite podcast app and spread the word so other writers can find us too to get our doing diversity and writing toolkit which includes all bonus material from season one go to representationmatters.art that's dot a-r-t here you will also find our episode show notes Happy writing and see you next episode.